this morning. As our, as our youth-led worship for us, I, could not, uh, I couldn't help but express how, how proud uh, I am of, uh, of them as a whole and, um, and how encouraging it's been to see them grow uh, over the past couple years um, in skill, in love for each other, in physical size, I mean, they're, they're huge now. Um, and I hope and I trust in their walks with Jesus. As I trust as our brother leads us, uh, leads the group in June, that God will give them plenty of grace as he gave to us these past few years. So I trust he'll do the same. Okay, well, for our time in the Word, I was, uh, I was thinking a lot about it this week. And as it's the last one I, I plan to give here, God has been putting it on my heart to remind you all to always, always keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Never make major things minor. To never major on minors and to never minor on majors. And so this morning's message is title kind of gives gives it away. I want to share with you five things. Five things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Five things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. I trust that this title gives away what I want to urge uh, all of you to remember as of first importance. The main thing. The meat and the potatoes. The engine of a car rather than the shade of leather on the seats. The major things rather than the minor things. And that is Jesus Christ, him crucified, and his accomplishments as a result. Before I dive into that specifically, I want to prove to you that the Bible majors, the Bible majors on Jesus' cross, his death and his resurrection. The Bible majors, John 1.29 The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, this is what he says when he sees him, Behold, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. That is how John sees him, and that's the utterance of his lips. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach him feeding 5,000, although that's important. We don't preach him touching the leper. That's important. We don't, we don't, we don't preach him healing the, the blind man on the road, but we preach him crucified. That's the main thrust of the Bible's theme when we think about Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified crucified we had a student in our we have currently a student in our youth group uh back uh, a year ago or two he would always wear this green jacket always right some of you guys in here uh know know who i'm talking about but he wouldn't always wear the green jacket like not in the summer but he always wore the green jacket and so the point i'm trying to make there is is not that paul only preached jesus christ and him crucified we know he preached the coming judgment we know he preached faith we know he preached self-control in the book of acts 
but the thrust of his message. He didn't always wear the green jacket, but he always wore the green jacket. We preach Christ crucified. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Just trying to prove this point, that the Bible majors on the cross. Uh, Galatians 3, 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched or who has fooled you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And this is the theme then. I hope to make it the theme now. And it is the theme in heaven. Revelation 5.12. And all the elders and the angels, they, they gather around the throne and they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Slain is the cross on which he died. I hope, I hope that's enough meat on the bone to prove to you that the, that the that, that the cross is, is baked in to the New Testament's way of thinking about Jesus. And it centralizes his death on the cross. The Jesus Christ and his cross is the centerpiece in the crown of his beauty. It is major. It is the main thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Very good. So, I hope with that, with that um, evidencing of, of how the Bible majors on the cross, I hope that'll draw you in to hear these five things that I want to share with you, these five things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Before I jump into that, I, I, know, you're, I know you're eager, I can see it. Before I jump into that, I want to say that all of these five accomplishments fall, they fall under the general statement that Jesus saves his people from their sin. So the Bible also makes a general statement that Jesus saves us from our sin. It's a very general statement. Look at, uh, look at what the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, 21. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So now they're making a general statement about what Jesus came to do, which was to save us from our sins. That is a general big picture statement of what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. He saves his people from their sin. And so what these five accomplishments, what these five accomplishments uh, do now, they get more specific and more particular under this general statement of what Jesus came to do. So Jesus came to save his people from their sin, and now these five accomplishments go specifically into what kinds of specific accomplishments did Jesus execute at the cross? Does that make sense? Okay. What specific and particular accomplishments did he bring about at Calvary? Yes, he did save his people from their sins, but there's specifics. And I hope to un un unfold five of you, five of, not you, five of those, five of those to you this morning. Point one. On the cross, Jesus removes guilt. Jesus removed guilt. Ephesians 1.7, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness. 
Because Jesus died on the cross, all of the guilt that your sin surfaced has been evaporated. And, his, and all of your sin has been completely forgiven. I hope we feel the weight of that. One thing that, one thing that guilt does, as, as an aside, one thing that guilt does is it surfaces, it surfaces as a result of wrongdoing. I think all of us can agree to that, not just in our relationships with God, but in our relationships even with each other. Guilt surfaces as a result of wrongdoing. And one thing that guilt brings about in any relationship is doubt and questioning and a lack of assurance of the other person's love and affection toward you. I'm going to repeat that. One thing that guilt brings about in any relationship is doubt, questioning, and lack of assurance of the other person's love toward you. When in guilt-driven doubts, one might ask questions like these. Will they ever love me again? Will they really forgive me? Will things ever be the same as they were before? Is there a passive aggressive element I have to look out for now? Are they smiling with their lips, but frowning in their hearts? Can we ever be as close as we were before I screwed this up? Those are some questions that come about as a result of guilt. It produces doubt and lack of assurance and questioning about the relationship. And so with that, saints, before Jesus put away your sin on the cross, you were 100% guilty before God. No stability, no assurance of his love, no clean conscience, no chance of a guarantee of a spotless standing before him, and no guarantee of a welcome into his presence. Not a chance. It was all frowns. It was all wrath. It was all anger from God. All disappointment and all shame for the sinner. But, but, now, if you are in Jesus, that is not the case anymore. No more frowns, no more disappointments, no more looks of being let down, no more guilt, no more shame, no more lack of assurance, although I know we struggle with that, but that is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Because of him and his death on the cross, it is all smiles from God. It is all smiles, all love. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Christian never has to worry. Will he ever love me again? Never. If you're a Christian, that should bring you joy. Will he, will he take me back after this mistake? The Christian never has to worry about that again. Is he frowning in his heart even though he says he loves me? Never. The Christian never has to worry about such a question. Not anymore and never again. All guilt is removed at the cross. All sin is forgiven. And brothers and sisters, I want to share with you that this cost Jesus his life. This benefit, this blessing 
of you never having to doubt and question and, and lack assurance of your relationship with God, Jesus paid for it at the cross. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin. No more guilt, no more shame, no more lack of assurance, no more walking on eggshells with God. Complete and free forgiveness in his blood. So, accomplishment number one, Jesus removed guilt at the cross. Point number two, point number two, on the cross, Jesus paid debt. Jesus paid debt. On the cross, Jesus died to pay for the penalty and the debt and the wage and the price of your sin. Jesus paid it all. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. God, having forgiven us all our trespasses or sin by canceling the record of debt, debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this God set aside, nailing it to the cross. So debt being laid aside is accomplished by nailing it to the cross. So that's proof, I hope, from the scriptures that Jesus had to die to lay aside and pay for the record of debt that stood against us. Sin, as I explained before, sin produces guilt and shame, but sin also produces a pile of debt that requires payment by punishment. Sin produces a pile of debt that requires payment by punishment. As one rapper, I don't listen to rap. I don't know if I am perceived that way. But, um, but one, one line in there says, if sin is how you work, then death must be the check. If sin is how you work, then death, eternal spiritual death, must be the wage, the check. This isn't the kind of check that you donate off to charity, not that kind. If you are not in Jesus, this check, this payment, is the punishment for your sin that you must pay. You must pay for it on your own in the fiery furnace of hell. Hell is the experience and the place and the, and the unending process of making a payment that you will never fully pay, which is why hell is forever. Hell is eternal. So for some of you in here, you, own a, you have a 30-year loan on your house. This is worse than that. This is worse than a 30-year uh, house loan because as long, as long as a 30-year mortgage might feel, it has an end date. Hell does not end. Hell does not end. Eternal wrath is also worse, not because of its length, but because of its consciousness. You will feel every inch of God's anger due for sinners that have spit on him their whole life. You will feel the heat of the furnace. You will hear the weeping and the grinding of teeth. You will feel every inch of his righteous anger poured on sinners that did not repent. They will feel it, and they will feel it forever. That is the sinner's condition apart from Jesus Christ. Are you happy that you are in Jesus? 
If you are in Jesus, your debt is canceled, your penalty is paid, God's wrath removed, and your punishment is absorbed by Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Can I get an amen if that is true in your life? Can you sing, now the curse, it has been broken. Jesus paid the price for me. Full the pardon he has offered. Great the welcome that I receive. We're going to sing it after. So you don't have a choice. <laughs> Christian, are you happy that God did not give you what you deserve? I'm so happy to, to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Saint, are you thankful for Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross? Are you happy that he died for you? No more debt to pay, no more punishment to bear, no more penalty to cancel, and no more hell to enter. Are you happy that he purchased you at the cross? I hope you are. 1 Peter chapter 1, 17, conduct yourselves with fear, throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed and, or purchased or bought from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold or Lincoln or Franklin, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus paid it all. I hope the proper response in our lives is all to him, I owe. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for many, for you and for me. Jesus died, Jesus died to pay the price of your sin. The debt is cleared, the bank ain't calling. The devil's accusations fall flat. On the cross, Jesus paid debt. Amen. Jesus removes guilt. Jesus pays debt at the cross. Point number three, on the cross, Jesus breaks the power of sin. Jesus breaks the power of sin that held believers captive under the rule of Adam. Prior to knowing Jesus, the believer was a slave to sin. Chains that absolutely could not be broken. One did not simply choose to do bad or to do good or thinking bad over thinking good. The Bible tells us they were trapped in unbreakable bonds to sin. The Bible tells us we were dead in our sin in a state of complete inability to please God, to know God, to walk with God, and to obey God. Jesus makes it very clear, John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. Christian, can you remember that time in your life when sin was your master. Did you know, can you remember that prior to Jesus, you were a slave to sin? 
You were under the inescapable dominion of Satan. Sin swept over, dominated, and controlled your life. Can you think back to that time when sin dominated you? Alcohol had a leash. Drugs had you chained up. Sexual immorality controlled you. Obsessive caring about people's opinions enslaved you. It did for me. Disobedience to parents was an effortless practice. Video games, money, popularity, comfort, whatever it was, you, you can fill in the blank. It had you. Satan had you. Sin had you on a leash. But, but, this guy named Jesus enters into the picture. And he comes to you. Christian and he shows up and he changes your life he breaks the power of sin he removes guilt he pays debt but he also removes the power the force the grip the dominion of sin that Satan had on you Jesus broke it if you're in Christ I, I believe it's healthy for us to periodically look back and see how he has crushed the dominion of your sin. Some of it might be immediate. For some of you guys, as soon as you got converted, he did some really powerful things. And for some of, some of us here now, it's still gradual. But there is progress. And that was purchased at the cross. Jesus' striking words became a fruitful reality in your life. John 8, 36, he says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You were free. If you can think back to the moment, you were free at last. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What I want to drive home to you now is that this freedom from your sin was bought. It wasn't just handed to you. It wasn't just like poof on a platter. It was bought at a bloody price on the cross. Jesus' dying love set you free from the miserable slavery to your sin. Here's the text connecting freedom from sin to uh, how freedom from sin was accomplished by the cross. Freedom from sin accomplished by the cross. Here's the text that explicitly lays it out. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. Sin is now dead to you. Not just in its accusations, but in its power, in its grip, in its dominion. Jesus died that we might die to sin. When someone's dead to you, they don't, they don't hold a force over you. They're dead to you. And this, this text tells us that he bore our sin to free us from the power of sin. Sin had you and it, it had me. And brothers and sisters, I hope, I hope I can speak for you that it was miserable. Sin makes you miserable. But Jesus bled to break the dominion that sin once had.
a way to state this is that the cross changes the believer's relationship to sin. The cross changes the believer's relationship to sin. So if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, if you're born again, Romans 6 is now your relationship to sin. Romans 6, 6. We know that our our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Did you know that? Sin is no longer your master. Romans 6, 7. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that you who were, don't you love that? Were. Once slaves of sin have become obedient from the hearts. Slavery to sin is a past tense in the believer's life. And so to apply that to you today, because I know if you're a Christian, you have sin struggles, like me. So, so to apply that today, even now, how that applies today is that that sin struggle that you can't seem to beat, the Christian is designed to be victorious over sin. Why? Because sin is no longer your master. You are no longer enslaved to sin. It'll take warfare, it'll take battle, it'll take faith, and it'll take wrestling in prayer, but you are not a slave anymore. And you cannot live like it, and you cannot let the devil trick you into thinking that you are still a slave. I get that we hate our sin, but we can't let, we can't let, it, we can't let the devil lie to us to think that it is still our master. I mean, people in the world say, like, we can, you know, you can beat cancer, you can beat this thing. We have, we have even more in Christ. Believer, if you are sinning, you can beat this thing. That's what the Bible says. And that is Paul's application. Romans six eleven. So, in light of these realities, you're set free from sin, you're no longer a slave, you were once a slave, so now what you must do is consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That sin that has a grip, that seems to have a grip on your life. Do you consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Because the Bible tells us that is the application. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Jesus removes guilt. Jesus pays debt. Jesus breaks the power of sin. Point number four on the cross, his fourth accomplishment, is that Jesus eliminates separation. Jesus eliminates separation. On the cross, Jesus eliminated, deleted, and erased the gap, the separation, and the distance that sin brings between men and God. That is another thing that sin does. It brings guilt. It piles up debt. It has a dominion over your life, but it also creates separation between you and God. Isaiah 59, verse 2, he says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Sin brings distance and separation between us and the Father. 
And so what that means is separation means there's no point in praying. Imagine not being able to pray another time in your life. But that's the point of separation. You're too far off. You're too distant from God. Sin me- separation means no point in praying. Separation means no point in worship services. No point in this building if separation still exists between man and God. Separation means no intimacy with God, no resting on his goodness. Separation means no God to trust when suffering drowns you. No God to trust when suffering drowns you because you're separated from God. Because that is what sin does. Sin separates. Because there's no God, you're separated. No God to pray to or worship or fellowship in, draw near to and to rest on and trust. Sin separates. But you know what will fix that right up? The cross of Calvary. The cross will fix that right up. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ. See the cross connection to the distance connection. You who were once far off have been brought near by, accomplished by, the blood of Christ. The cross, the cross, the cross. Major on majors. Don't minor on major. I don't even know the phrase anymore. Don't, don't, just major on majors. Please, saints. Don't minor on majors and don't major on minors. Did you hear this verse? You who were once far off, you are now brought near through the blood that Jesus spilled for you at the cross. The distance is closed. The separation is gone. The gap is bridged. Far off becomes brought near. Jesus gave his life to accomplish such a reality. He gave his life so that you can pray. Have we ever thought about that? When you're praying, that is purchased. When you're singing to the one true God, That gift was purchased by Jesus Christ at the cross. Fellowshipping, trusting in him, relying on him, all of those things were bought at a price. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus' cross accomplishes the elimination of separation. Will that cause us to be grateful? while we're praying? Will that bring thankfulness when you're clinging to sweet promises in tough times? Will you thank him that that reality was bought by Jesus at the cross? Will remembering that him eliminating separation at the cross, will that bring you joy when God draws near to you in in a special way? Saints, you know those seasons when God draws near in special ways. He's extra close. You feel it. You sing it. you, You preach it to your neighbor. That was bought at the tree. 
Remember it because that nearness was purchased. That dissolved separation was bought at a price. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. Ephesians 2.13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Accomplishment number four, on the cross, Jesus eliminated separation. Amen? All right, last one. That takes us right, it transitions us really, it really does, right into our fifth accomplishment. The fifth thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross with the accomplishment of eliminating separation and closing the gap that stood between us and God, upon accomplishing that, upon dissolving the separation that stood against us, lies another accomplishment alongside of that. I believe personally that it is Jesus' greatest accomplishment on the cross. So, with separation being gone, what comes with that, what comes with separation being gone, is now you are brought near to the person from whom you were separated. With separation gone, now you get God himself. And that is, his, that is the fifth accomplishment. Number five, on the cross, Jesus gives you God. Not all these benefits. These benefits climb up the mountain to the climax of you getting God himself. The climax, the pinnacle, the height of Jesus' accomplishments on the cross is that you get God himself in deep, sweet, intimate, unfading relationship and friendship. I'm going to repeat that. The climax, the pinnacle, the height of Jesus' accomplishments on the cross is that you get God himself in deep, sweet, intimate, unfading relationship and friendship. See, what, see how, look at what Ephesians 2.12 says about our condition before we knew Christ. Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God. Before you knew Jesus, you had no God in the world. That is the condition of the unbeliever. The final of these, of these conditions is that you are without God. And G, I believe Jesus' greatest accomplishment on Calvary is that you get God himself. Brothers and sisters, and I'm gonna, I want to give you the text because there is one that connects the cross to you getting God himself. But before I get to that, brothers and sisters, I hope you are not content that after you die, you have a nice place to go to. And, and you avoid hell and there's no shame and you get to see, you get to go to a place where you see your family and your friends. I hope that it does not suffice for your entrance into the kingdom of God. I hope that is not your end goal in all of this. I hope, I hope that you will hate heaven if Jesus is not there. Is that true? 
Because the first time I heard that statement from John Piper, I had to check myself. Will I take all the benefits and be okay with it if Jesus isn't there? I hope you can say with your hearts that if heaven is not about seeing God face to face, that you refuse to enter. Is it enough that it's a nice place to go to when you die? Gold roads, air conditioning, family, friends, a mansion. Is that what we're in this for? Is that the end goal? I hope not. Because ultimately in the Christian life, the greatest treasure is God himself. That's what Jesus suffered on the cross to accomplish. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sin. Hallelujah. The righteous for the unrighteous so that, here's why he suffered, so that he might bring us, not to heaven, to a person. To God. Is that text clear? That he might bring us to God. Jesus not only saves us from our sin, he saves us to our God. Jesus delivers you from the old, from the old husband of sin, and he saves you into the new husband, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the height of his accomplishments at the cross is you get God himself. You get him in relationship. You get him to know and walk with and to fall in love with. You get him as friend. You get him as husband. You get him as father. You get him as your rock and your refuge and your shelter in the storm. You get him. Is he enough? I remember what Hannah said. I remember what Hannah's husband said to her because she was crying because she couldn't have a baby. And I believe, I believe Jesus might say the same thing to us. And Hannah, Hannah's husband, Elgana, says to her, am I not better than ten sons? And Jesus asks us a similar question. Are you in it for the benefits? Or are you in it for me? Am I not better? than ten sons, Hannah. Christian, isn't he better than all the benefits he has to offer? With having God himself, you can say with the bride in the Song of Solomon, I have found the one whom my soul loves. You can say with David in Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life. You can say with David in Psalm 40, none can compare with you. Is that true? Accomplishment number five, on the cross, Jesus gave you God himself. So to recap, yes, Jesus, one, he removes guilt Two, Jesus paid debt. Three, Jesus broke the power and the dominion of sin. Four, Jesus eliminates separation between men and God. And number five, Jesus gives you God himself. Am I not better to you than ten sons? 
You can live guilt-free and shame-free now. You can live with your debt paid and a heaven to look forward to. You can live having victory over sin in your life. You can live with nearness to God. And to take that a step further, you can have all of God for yourself. All of God himself, all for yourself. And all of this, all of these benefits, all of these accomplishments were executed on your behalf. Because Jesus, Hebrews 9.27, because Jesus put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Come on. What a savior. He accomplished it on your behalf, on my behalf. Guilt-free, debt paid, power broken, distance removed, and a person, a person to gain. How I love the voice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He declares his work is finished. He has spoken this hope to me. Amen? Can you say, again, as we started off, can you say with John the Baptist, when, G, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, finally, I have brothers and sisters in this room that can say with me, we can say all together, I have found the one whom my soul loves. We can say together, none can compare with you. We can say together, your steadfast love is better than life. May we be able to answer you and say, you are better than 10 sons. Would you be enough now? Would you be enough tomorrow? We confess how you have been enough to this day. And would you be enough in eternity? We thank you for the cross, Jesus, and all the accomplishments you brought. And we give you all the glory. And we are yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen.